right. Well, good morning, Doxa. It is great to see you guys. If you're new or visiting, my name is Rob. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, you don't know this, but if you've heard me before, you know that I sound like a little nasally, and kind of my voice is more annoying now than it usually is. So here's what I did. Last night, I took a bunch of NyQuil, which was great. Helped me, helped me sleep. I woke up like I am hungover, and then I took a bunch of antihistamines, right? So without eating breakfast or drinking a whole lot of water, but I had a couple cups of coffee. So this morning might be interesting, okay? If I pass out, Ronnie, you're up, okay? Um, but guys, it's, it's awesome to, to see you guys. We are in week two of a teaching series that we've titled 16 Words, where we're basically looking at the mission statement that we have here at Doxa, the, the 16 words that really drive everything that we do as a church and, and really drive who we seek to, to be as a church. And, and you know, while our propensity is to kind of just go through books of the Bible, kind of just one by one, which we're going to start doing that in about three weeks as we get into the book of Acts, which is going to take us the better part of, of this next year, we're doing something a, a little bit different with, with this series, okay? And, and I really believe that this series is, is coming about in just kind of perfect timing for us as a, as a church family, okay? That if you're here last week, we announced some really exciting news that we're in the process of, of getting a building, all right? There's going to be a picture, I think, popping up here, but, but this is a, a building that, that we just feel like has just kind of landed in our lap, and, and we're excited to, to work towards this, making a, a permanent home for us here in Madison. And, and last week, I kind of framed this, this whole series by, by telling you that this building, although it's a, an incredible gift, it's never been the goal of starting this church 11 months ago. All right, because the goal of every gospel-centered, Bible-preaching, Jesus-loving church is to do what Jesus said in his great commission in Matthew 28, to, to make disciples. Right? This is the goal. But here's what I believe about all this, okay? While the goal is to make disciples and to, to see people say yes to Jesus, this building is most definitely an incredible gift. And here's what I want to propose to you guys. If we view this the right way, all right, if we use this the, the right way, this is actually going to help us with this goal of, of seeing more and more people meet Jesus in the city that we love. All right, and so before we, we jump into the Bible together, I want to give you a quick update on, on where we are at with this, with this building. We, we announced last week, if, if you guys didn't get one of these and you want this, this is kind of like our, our, our forward-giving campaign to, to make this a, a reality, okay? And, and we kind of said that to make this a reality that we have to raise about $300,000, okay? Kind of like the down payment on a house, all right? And, and you can pick this up on our welcome table and it'll give you more information. You can go to doxaforward.com. But we asked you last week to, to really just pray and to just pray and ask, like, what would it look like for, for you as part of the Doxa family? That if you're new or visiting, guys, just, like, hear this and be like, oh, that's cool, good for you. We're not asking you to, to give anything. We're just glad that you're here. But for those of you that are part of the Doxa family, we asked you to, to pray. Like, what would it look like for you to generously and, and sacrificially give to make this building, this place, be a reality for, for our church family. Because this is, in fact, like kind of like a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for the church. Like, Doxa will live and die in this building. Like, this is the building for, I don't think it's, we're going to die, okay? But, right? But this is the building for, for the life of our church. And we clearly see the hand of God moving us forward in this. And, and as we ask you to do that, guys, I just want to say thank you that this, this building, guys, and, and there's so much generosity in this room. And so guys, it's, I'm like super thankful and to be proud to be part of, of this church family, but, but here's where we're at. Okay. So as of this morning, we have about $162,000 pledged to go. Yeah. Okay. We can clap on that. 
And so we, we said that, that our goal was to, to meet that $300,000 goal by October 1st. And, and the great part about this, guys, is, is only like less than half of our church has, has pledged at this point, right? But we're over half of our goal. And so, man, we, we can totally do this, and it's going to be awesome to see what God is doing. But even on top of that, I didn't share this last week, and, you know, the, the actual money that we would need to get this building is, is far above $300,000, but again, in the generosity in the life of Doxa, like we have a family that is basically putting up the additional funds, like over $200,000 to outfit and to renovate this building to get it prepared for our church to, to gather there. And so guys, I just wanna say thank you to you guys. It's exciting to see what God's gonna do. And so my ask for you is this, is that guys, this week, as you've been praying, if you haven't got a chance to go and to, to pledge an amount, would you just go to doxaforward.com and just pledge? And so we can just have a, a, an idea of, of where we're at, okay? So all that being said, guys, it's humbling. It's awesome to, to see what God is doing. And he's doing so many great things amongst us, even in the midst of our, our brokenness. And, and we're just excited to, to, for what's to come. But with this perspective, all right, that the building is, is in fact a, a gift, all right, not the goal, but here's where we're at. All right, 16 words are 16 words that drive the mission of Doxa, and they're going to come up here on the screen. If you didn't write this down last week, if you're note takers, I'm going to encourage you to, to write this down. But here's why we exist, sharing the gospel in our lives for the glory of God in the good of Madison. And what we're going to do, guys, through this series is we're going to talk about these 16 words and just kind of break them down. Just kind of go chunk by chunk so that we can all be on the same page as to why we exist as a, as a church. And we've rooted this series in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 because this has been just an intensely formative passage for the life of our church and really has shaped our 16 words, okay? So go ahead and grab your Bible, open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you're new and you don't have a Bible, guys, we'd love to give you one. You can stop at our welcome table on the way out and grab one. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is where you need to be. Last week, we, we looked at the first three words, all right, sharing the gospel. And we talked about what the gospel is and what the gospel does, that the gospel is just the good news of Jesus's work for you, for your salvation. It's authored by God. It's God's gospel. And, and we see what the gospel does is it moves people in two directions. It moves people towards God and it moves people towards people. And, and today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at our next three words, and our lives. So again, our, our 16 words, sharing the gospel and our lives for the glory of God and the good of Madison. And so if you want to write this down, the big idea today is this, guys, is that sharing our lives brings the gospel to life. I want you to know this, all right? So it, it's so important. It, it's not just sharing the gospel, but it's sharing the gospel and our lives. And in so many Christians, you can kind of fall into to two ditches with this, right? Is that some of you, you, you love God, and you're like, man, I'm just really good at sharing my life. I'm, I'm friends with everybody. Everybody in my neighborhood knows me, and you never say anything about Jesus. But you're over here, and you're a, you're a great guy. You're, you're, you're Johnny on the block, right? And you're, everybody wants, I don't Johnny on, Jenny on the block, whatever it is, right? <laughs> I don't even know. Why am I quoting J-Lo, okay? Who, it's the antihistamines. Good thing I told you about that, Okay. <laughs> Or you can fall into the other ditch and you're not loving towards people at all. You don't really have any relationships. You kind of are a hermit in your house. No one even knows you exist on your, on your street, except if they run into you and you kind of thump them in the head with the Bible. And you'll share the gospel, but you won't share your life. And as we get into this, guys, 1 Thessalonians is written, just remember this, it's written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he shows us the way that he lived. 
in order to fulfill Jesus's great commission to make disciples, seeing people meet Jesus. All right, and here's how we did it. First Thessalonians chapter two, we're gonna start in verse seven. Take a look. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you. That should be circled from last week. If you didn't do it, circle it now. Share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves. Circle our own selves because you have become very dear to us. Guys, this is the way that, that Paul approached living for God and towards people in the everyday stuff of life. And here's what you need to know. Guys, sharing our lives is a big part of God's plan for the redemption of humanity. And so to help us with this, to help us understand this, the Apostle Paul is going to teach us two things, and this is where we're going today. Number one, we're going to see Paul's posture in sharing his life, and then the second thing we're going to see is his practices of sharing his life. And this is all with the goal that we would become these types of people for the glory of God and the good of our city. This is the aim of our church. And so look back to verse 7. We see Paul's posture kind of emerge from the text. He says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother caring for her own children. So he shows us his posture by giving us this picture of a mother with her newborn baby. And it's important that, you know, Paul doesn't just consider himself and view himself as a, as a messenger or a preacher, but a mother. And guys, this is quite the picture. And if, and if you're a woman who's a mom, maybe this is probably easier for you than some of you guys, because some of you guys are like, you know, really, you think you're really manly men and you kind of sit there and be like, hold up, I'm a man, I'm not a mother, right? And you just kind of say this, but, but here's the reality, guys. Guys, we can learn a lot. And I'll speak to you men. Men, we can learn a lot about being godly men, real men, by looking at and learning from the mothers around us. Because Paul says, that he was gentle with people, just like a mother. And we've all seen moms with, with their babies, right? And it's a beautiful thing. I mean, from the very first moment of birth, there's just an extreme, intense, like, attachment and connection, and there's love and there's gentleness between this mother and her child. And that's why sometimes after a birth, right, the mother cringes when she sees the way that the doctor kind of just handles the baby, right? I, I remember, I don't know if you guys have had kids, but, you know, I remember the first, with our first child, Lily was, was born, and you know, we were just so gentle with her and like holding her and we took her to her first doctor's appointment and we go in there to see Dr. Rader and we're kind of like gently taking off the onesie and gently putting her on the table and gently petting her head and, you know, just talking quietly and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, Dr. Rader just comes in and just grabs her and starts like whipping her around and like stretching her and doing all this stuff. And I, I'm like, I looked at Lisa, I was like, oh my gosh, like do not break her, okay? It's gonna take like a, nine more months to reproduce this, right? But I remember... Dr. Rader, right, after, after just whipping her around and, like, stretching her out and measuring her and all this stuff, kind of just bundled her back up and held, handed her back to Lisa and was like, she's fine. And I remember looking at Lisa, and she was just like, oh, my gosh. And she just held Lily. And she's like, girl, I got you. Like, I'm going to be gentle with you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to treat you like no one else can. I'm your mom. And this is what mothers do. They come down to the level of their child. They love them. They speak to them in a language that no one else can besides a mother, and they give themselves completely to their kid. Guys, here's the point. This is the way that Paul lived towards people. That Paul saw people differently than most. 
that his posture was one of love and gentleness. And guys, this should be our posture as we interact with the people around us, that we're gentle and we're loving. That as Christians, if you would consider yourself a Christian and you're seeking to be like Jesus, we should live towards people like Jesus lived towards people. And here's why this is significant, guys. In this snapshot of of Paul's life, what we see here, guys, is the Great Commission meeting the Great Commandment. That in Matthew 28, Jesus gives this, this Great Commission to go and make disciples. And then in John 13, Jesus says, now here's the greatest commandment, to go and love other people. And what we see is that this mission is to make disciples, but the means by the way that this happens is to love people, that without love, this mission is gonna be hindered. This is how Jesus put it. Look, in John 13, you can write this this verse down and talk about it in your connection group, but in John 13, Jesus puts it this way. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one one another. Because this is the issue. And honestly, I think this is a really great place for us to just reflect. And I want you to ask yourself and talk about it at your connection group this week, guys. Ask yourself this question. Is the love of Jesus being demonstrated through your life by the way that you live towards people? I mean, really, this is just a great place to start when we talk about sharing our lives. Is love the distinguishing mark of your life? Because the reality is, is if you're a Christian, it should be. That the love of God, if the love of God is in you, it will naturally come out of you in the way that you treat and you live towards people. It's love. Because there's really essentially three ways that we can, we can live towards people and, and see people. And I've talked about this, and if you've been around, you've heard me say it, I'm gonna keep saying it until we all get it, right? That we can view people in one of three ways. We can view them as scenery, machinery, or ministry. That some of you, you go through life and, and you view people as like a fire hydrant and they're just scenery. You, you walk by them, you don't engage with them, you just kind of ignore them, you hope they don't get in your way. There's not a whole lot of love there, maybe not even a whole lot of eye contact, there's scenery for you. Others of you, you're, you're not quite there, but you see people as machinery. That sure, you'll engage with people if they can add to your life, if you can use them to push you forward, if you can use them to get money or, or whatever. You view them as, as, as machinery. When we look at Jesus, when we look at Paul, guys, they viewed people as ministry, meaning that they were gentle in loving towards people, like a mother. Guys, love should be the backdrop of our life story with Jesus. This is Paul's posture as he shared his life for the glory of God and the good of others. It's love. And guys, as I talk to people in our city and on our campus with Salt Company, as they're getting to know Doxa, You know, there's so many things that that people can say about Doxa Church. But there's one thing above everything else that I hope that they say. I hope when they talk about Doxa that they say, man, those people, those Doxa people love people so well. I was going to say that they're great lovers. That's weird, right? (laughs) That'll come out in our Song of Solomon series when we're a couple years, right? Okay. But right, that they love people so well. Now, how, is, how does this happen? Because, you know, you can't just flip a switch and be like, you know what, I'm going to be loving. How does this happen, guys? It's this. It's by people being profoundly impacted by the love of God. Because I want you to know this. Your ability to love is rooted in your experience with love. And when you experience the radical love of God, it changes people. It moves people. It moves you to become more loving and more gentle, just like Jesus 
This is what Paul is showing us as he's talking about sharing his life. Love is his posture. And this is just an overflow of the gospel in his life. Like, guys, when you really understand the gospel, how God has loved you in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we will begin to love the people around us just like Jesus. That when you really understand how broken we are, how sinful and jacked up all of us are, and how our sin is like rebellion, it's like cosmic treason against God. When we really understand that while we were running away from God and doing everything in our lives contrary to who God is and what God says, that in that moment, in the darkest moments of your life, that God looked at you and he says, I love you. And not only that, I lived for you and I died for you. When we understand that, that he brings us to God and takes our sin, that changes a person. It changes us. Now, if love is the posture of sharing our lives. The next question is this, what are the practices of sharing our lives? I mean, really, how do we, how do we practically do this? And guys, here is what we're gonna do, okay? I wanna treat this as kind of like a, a case study of the Apostle Paul in the early church, that in order to understand what Paul is saying about sharing our lives, we, we need to kind of bounce around to several different places in the New Testament to see how we did it. And so I wanna give you three S words all right, that's gonna help us to understand what it looks like for us to share the glory of God for the good of others. And we could say, guys, we could spend a whole teaching series, months, talking about how to share our lives, but these three things are a great place for us to start. All right, and remember it, before I even get into this, guys, the only reason that this is crucial for us as a church is due to the fact that sharing our lives is crucial for making disciples and seeing other people meet Jesus. This is why our church exists. Jesus and people, people meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. It's it. So how do we do this to see this happen? The first S word is this. Sharing your life means sharing your story. And here's what you need to know. Guys, your, your story is a megaphone to show the glory of God. That if you're a Christian, your story demonstrates the power and the love of the gospel of Jesus. And when we look at the way the Apostle Paul sought to live for God and to see people meet Jesus, guys, part of what he did is that he shared his story. That, that Paul, he talked about who he once was. He, he talked about how God intervened. And then he talked about what the gospel has done in his life. And he doesn't just share the gospel, but he makes it personal and says, here's what the gospel has done in my life. Acts 26 is gonna come up here on the screen. You can write it down so you can read it at Connection Group. But this is Paul in Acts 26. He's on trial. He's defending himself. People are trying to arrest him and kill him. And before the king, he shares his story to demonstrate the power of the gospel. And here's what he says. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem, not only locked up many of the saints after, in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. He was like, I, I was against the church. I was against Christians. I oversaw their, kill, their deaths. Verse 11, I, and I punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury, I mean, this was his posture before Jesus, raging fury against them, I, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But listen to this, but rise upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness. Guys, this was Paul's story. And as he shared it, he was showing people around him the radical love and the radical transformative power of the gospel. He says, I persecuted Christians. I hated Jesus. I saw them killed. Like, I was raging with fury against them. I, I, I was going after them. But then I met Jesus and everything changed. And if you read Paul's letters, right, in Romans chapter 7, we see that, that Paul, he, he still, he's still, he's humble and he's honest. And Paul says, I'm still changing. That Jesus came in and, and changed my life, but he, he's changing me now because I continue to need Jesus because I continue to sin. In Romans 7.15, he says, the things I hate, I do, that he still needs Jesus. His story is a story of redemption, and it was used as a megaphone to show the glory of God for the good of others. And here's how this relates to us, guys. In my time in ministry, I've met many Christians, some of which are, are in this room today, who are afraid and ashamed and embarrassed of sharing their life story with others. That many of you as, as Christians, you'll, you'll share the gospel with people, that Jesus saves sinners, but then you'll fail to share how Jesus saved you as a sinner. All right, that you, you have this thought in your head that if you're vulnerable and you share just how jacked up you really were and how currently jacked up you are, and if you tell everybody of the mess of your life, your addictions, your failed marriage, your greed, your hate, you fill in the blank, if you shared all of that with people that somehow they're gonna look down on you. And far too many of us act like we have it all together. And we walk around kind of just like fake and plastic. We give off the facade that everything in our life is, is perfect and we don't have any struggles. And when we do that, guys, we're, we're not only lying, but we make ourselves completely unrelatable to other people who are struggling. And even more than that, we make ourselves out to not need a savior because we're perfect. We don't have a problem, but we do. And we need a savior. And that's our stories as Christians that we have one, because, because we all have life struggles. We all have sin in our life. We, we live in a broken world. The problems are real, but Jesus is the answer. And I want you to hear this, guys. When you share all of that, when you share your story, it's actually a way to demonstrate the glory and the power of God to redeem. Because, and, and there's freedom in this. Because if you're in Christ, who you once were is not who you currently are. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, that the old has gone, the new has come. And so there's freedom to talk about our stories because I'm almost telling a story of a different person because I'm new. This is why, honestly, I can stand up here every night. I don't have a problem getting in front of people and just sharing about my broken past or anything like that or my, even my current weaknesses. And so I can stand up here and say that who Rob Warren once was, was, was a druggie, a womanizer. I, I was addicted to porn. And I can share that. With freedom, and I can almost boast in that because that's not who I am anymore. That Jesus has totally changed me. And do I still have sin in my life? Absolutely. But Jesus, by faith, has taken that sin. He's forgiven that sin. He's given me a new story, and he's helping me by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to continue to get rid of my current pride, my selfishness, my anger, 
He's working on me. And when we share our stories of how God has intervened and continues to intervene, making us more like Jesus, redeeming our lives, guys, people see this. And they're drawn to Jesus because of the story of redemption being played out in your life. I'll demonstrate this to you. One of my good friends, his name is Corey. He's part of this church. Corey and I have been friends for just over a year, okay? Met him one of my first weeks here in Madison when we moved to plant this church. Corey, as I sat down with him, we had just a random connection from Iowa. And uh, we sat down and talked, and Corey's a recovering alcoholic, had gone through some significant health issues, some significant relational things. And honestly, when I sat down with him, was one of the most beat down men that I've seen. And as we talked and, and hung out, I got to share my story and just talk about life. And Corey started coming around the family of Doxa that was really small at that time. And he started hearing other stories and he started sharing his story. And through the preaching of the Bible and just like the openness, he, he used the words that I've never been around a group of people that are so real. And I realized by hearing everybody else's struggles that there's hope for me. And Corey came to give his life to Jesus. He was one of the first people that got baptized in the life of our church. And listen to this. Here's the awesome part, guys. As he shared his story when he got baptized, there were people there in the Doxa family and out of the Doxa family watching him. And they heard him give an account of his story and say, here's who I once was, here's what God did, and here's who I am and what I'm going through. And there were people who heard this story that after his baptism were like, they approached him and said, that's kind of like my story. Maybe you can help me with that. And Corey stepped out in faith and started surrounding himself with these different guys inside and outside the church. He started a recovery group for, for recovering alcoholics, and he is impacting lives for Jesus because he was open enough to share his story. What God can do through sharing your story is incredible, guys. Now, I have to say this. Guys, some of you, your story is a biography and not yet a testimony. Some of you guys, like there's a difference between a, a biography and a testimony. A biography is all about you. It's about your successes, your failures, what you've done in life. This is your biography. The Bible uses the language of testimony. It's what Jesus has done in your life to redeem you, to give you a new life. And that comes through faith from Jesus taking your sin and giving you hope and giving you a new future. Some of you, you have this biography, but God has brought you here. I believe in the sovereignty of God that he's brought you here to want you to move from this biography to a testimony through Jesus, that he can do that for you. He can give you a new story. And it's Jesus. As sharing our stories can help lead people to Jesus. The second S word, sharing your life means sharing your stuff, all right? The book of Acts that we're gonna study here in the next couple of weeks um, is a historical book, all right? It's an it's a account of the early church after Jesus was killed and resurrected and ascended into heaven. And this early church is really the church that, that Paul kind of got saved into, all right? That when you become a Christian through faith in Jesus, you don't just get a savior, but you get a family, and that family is called the church, the family is not just like a, a building, it's, it's, it, or the, the church is not just a building, it's a, it's a family. And you, and you get a family. And in Acts chapter 2, we see this early family, and we get this beautiful picture of, of how early Christians lived their lives. Listen, look at this, Acts 2.42. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Because here in Acts, we, we get some insight on, on Paul's language of, of sharing his life. And when Acts 2 talks about like this idea of, of fellowship, this is just in fact sharing our lives. And the emphasis on, on fellowship is, is really just sharing and contributing and giving. That these things dominated the culture of the early church. It, it was about giving, giving of yourself, giving of your stuff. That the church was and should be characterized today by mutual sharing and mutual giving. Look at verse 45 there again. It shows us that, that these people were, were giving to meet the needs of others. And we can look throughout the New Testament and find a bunch of other places like 2 Corinthians 8.3 where it says they gave according to their means and even beyond their means to share with one another, to provide with one another. The, the church was about giving. And when it comes to us today, guys, it means this. It's that sharing our lives for the glory of God and the good of Madison, it means that it's gonna cost us. That the mission of God for the salvation of people, it costs. It costs God the life and the death of Jesus. And it costs us as well of our time and our talent and our treasure. And, and guys, this is one of the, the big problems in the church today. Because we live in such like a consumerist culture that we, we believe that we, we come to church, we, we go to church to, to get, not to give. But you need to know, guys, that it's both. That a church, the church is, is a family that, that receives and it gives. And when this happens, relationships happen, intimacy happens, growth happens. That a life for and with Jesus is about giving because we need to learn how to give. And I know that you're thinking, oh, yep, you just added this giving component because we're doing this building. No. Guys, you know, to be honest with you, God's going to provide. This is about our discipleship and living for Jesus for the sake of the world. And this practice comes from Jesus. That Jesus didn't, I love this, Jesus didn't just come into human history and, and take, take, take. He came to give and he gave everything. He gave himself for the good of all of us. And as we watch Jesus and we watch Paul and we watch the early church, they had this posture as well. They gave. Guys, this needs to be and should be part of our lives with Jesus. That one of the marks of a Jesus-loving church, of a Jesus-loving person is that we give. And what I love what I love about this, guys, is this is starting to be true of our church. It's happening. When we talk about like giving of like time, talent, and treasure, some of you, you, you guys give so much of your time. You open up your lives and your house, your apartment in such a way that there's people always around you, inside the church and outside the church. There's, you're giving up of your, your time where you could just be by yourself and, and doing whatever else you want to do, but you sit with people. You love them so much that you talk with people. You listen to their problems. Not to be like Dr. Phil and give answers, but to be like Jesus and give the gospel. And you give of your time to just sit and you're with people and it takes time. You're doing it. Others of you with your talent, like we all have gifts and talents, right? Some of you, I, I've heard it. Like you, you, there's, there's a mom whose car broke down and she, she doesn't have a, a husband, and she's by herself. And some of you guys are like, man, I know how to fix cars. I'll step in and do that for you. 
Some of you guys, there's, there's people that are trying to fix up their house or do something in your neighborhood and you're watching them struggle through it and so you give of your talent and you say, hey, I can help you with that and you just walk over there and you do it. You're giving of your time and your talent to help people, to show the love of God and your treasure because we're starting to be a generous church and, it, and it's awesome. I, I mean, I've heard of, of people like seeing their neighbors in the apartment complex that can't pay their rent. And so they go to their connection group and they say, hey, we need to come up with $600. She needs rent or her and her son are gonna get kicked out. I've heard of some of you taking like, you know, these, these parents that just lost their job and taking them to the grocery store and buying them food. You're giving of your treasure. We're starting to be generous. And even when we talk about this building, it's not for the sake of a building, it's for the sake of discipleship, right? And, and you guys are being generous towards that and it's amazing. Guys, generos generosity is a mark of a Jesus-loving church. So we share our stories, we share our stuff, and our last S word is this. Sharing your life means sharing your savior. Because when we boil it down for Paul, if you look at his life, it was all about Jesus. And as he shared his life, because he couldn't do that without sharing his savior. Right? Because Paul understood rightly that his life was primarily life in the savior. Look how he says this in Colossians chapter three. It's gonna come up here. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Because if you're a Christian, your life is primarily about the life of Jesus. And while you can try and can't really compartmentalize your life, right? It's not like your work life over here and then your spiritual life over here because your life is, is with Jesus, that he's the most significant thing about you. And so if you try and share your life without sharing your savior, it really isn't you that you're sharing about. People don't know the real you because they don't know the most important thing about you, that you cannot know Rob Warren without knowing Rob Warren's savior. He's the most important thing in my life. And so part of sharing our lives is sharing our savior. And when we share the story of our savior, the gospel, miracles happen, guys. Lives are changed. I want you to look back at Acts chapter two again. Paul and the early church, they, they shared their lives. And here is what happened as a result of this, okay? In Acts 2, 40, 43, look at this and awe came upon every soul. Because the people were watching this, people from outside, and they, and they were looking at this and, and said something is happening. I don't know what it is, but, but awe and fear because they saw things happening and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, I want you to look at this. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Listen, praising God and having favor with all the people. That people outside the church, they were looking at this radical community that was just radically loving and radically sharing and they were drawn to it. They were gaining favor with people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Guys, this type of radical life-sharing rhythms captures the attention of the world around us. This is how the early church grew and saw thousands of people come to know Jesus. Because the pagan world around the, the hundred or so Christians that were there after Jesus died and was resurrected, 
Right? They didn't attract people because of great preaching or awesome worship music or a building or anything like that, but people were drawn to them because of the love that they had, this love that was just infectious and contagious and people didn't know what to do with it and they just wanted to be part of it because they were feeling love. They were seeing Jesus. They weren't drawn to these people because they were great. They weren't. But they were seeing Jesus in the way that they loved and the way that they shared their life and they were drawn into the family and they were drawn to God and they found Jesus for salvation. And as they shared their lives by sharing their stories and their struggles and their stuff and their savior, guys, people's heads just began to turn. Their eyes got opened up to the glory of God. They heard the gospel and everything changed. And thousands of people said yes to Jesus. This is what our church needs to be about. It's not about tactics. It's not about great worship. It's not about that stuff, guys. It's the love of God sharing our lives in such a way with the goal of seeing people meet Jesus. And so I'll end with a question for you, okay? It's this. I want you to write this down. What's the driving force in your life? And I want you to really think about that and just be honest. Is it money? Is it success? Your job? A relationship? I mean, what is it for you? What is the driving force in your life? And, and be honest. And while you think about this, guys, I want you to listen to this. This is the Apostle Paul. Once again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this is what he says. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became was one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, hear this, that by all means I might save some. I do everything for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessing. Guys, Paul says that this is the thing that I perseverate on. This is the thing that, that I go to sleep thinking about. This is the thing that I wake up thinking about. It's people meeting Jesus. And he says that this is the thing that my whole life goes around. It's Jesus in people, people meeting Jesus. I wanna win people to God. The driving force in his life was the love of God, which compelled him to love people, share the gospel in his life with those people. He says, this is my goal. And so he shared the gospel in his life, all with the goal that every day, every day he would see someone meet Jesus. And he did this, guys, because of what was inside of him, the love of God. And so if we actually want to be serious about being a church who exists for the glory of God and the good of Madison, you just need to know that it's fueled by the love of God through gospel people, that the gospel has saved us and has sent us out in the world as gospel people to reach the people that God loves. And all of this, guys, is started and sustained by the love of God and the gospel of Jesus. And so maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, I just don't, I don't have that posture. Like, that's not the driving force in my life. I, I get it. Like, I feel, I feel bad right now that it's not. I, I hear Paul and I should be like that. Because hear what I say. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so... We gotta get the gospel in us so it can move through us. So guys, this is what we do. 
We saturate ourselves in the gospel. We preach the gospel to ourselves. We read the Bible. We get in community. We share life together. We share the gospel with each other. And this stirs our affections for God. It stirs that stagnant water that's in your life and, and stirs it up and our, and our affections start to grow for God and it leads us to live for him and towards people. And so one of the ways that we're gonna do that, I'm gonna give you a minute just to pray and we're gonna sing together. And God, this is an opportunity for you to connect with the God that saved you or to connect with the God that wants to save you and has brought you here for that today. So I'm gonna pray and the band is gonna come up here. God, thanks for, man, it just seems, seems right to just thank you for Jesus. Thank you that as I was running away from you, that as I didn't care about you, that you, you cared about me and you saw me, that you intervened in my life and you, you changed my life. God, thank you for, for loving me, for letting me experience that love. And I know that there's people in this room that just need to experience your love and I know that you're here and so Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would help these words that you've given us just land in our hearts in such a way that it stirs in us and we begin to experience the love of God that as we sing these songs, they're not just words and not just good music, but it's, it's a way for us to remind it of the, the gospel truth and a way for us to declare, this is what I want to do. So help us to, to be people that are like you, be marked by love in such a way that we move towards people and we share the gospel in our lives so that they can meet the Savior that has changed everything about us and given us a hope for an eternity. And so even as we sit here and pray, God, I just ask that you would just minister to us, like highlight a person highlight a, a thing. As if, if there's greed in our lives that's keeping us from sharing our, our lives, would you just highlight that for us and give us the strength to, to walk out of here different, to release that to you. If it's hate because of past relationships that keep us from loving people, I just ask Holy Spirit that you would just heal. And so just speak to us now.